Now, this passage is a letter directly to the church at Ephesus, the same church that Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians to. Uh, And the Apostle John received it in this vision, uh, and apparently Jesus wanted to be really direct with them. So, uh, Jesus, through the Apostle John, wrote this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So this once beacon of churches had something go wrong. But Ephesus wasn't the first time something like this had happened. Uh, This week we're continuing our series through the books of Chronicles. We're just going sort of chapter by chapter or section by section. And this week we're looking at 2 Chronicles 16. Uh, in our series, Revived, Reclaimed, Reformed, and Returned. And so last week, if you weren't here, we looked at this guy named King Asa. So he was king of Israel, you know, 2,800 years ago, give or take. Uh, and so he would have been the great-great-great-grandson great, great of King David, the first king of Israel. And last week we read about how great he was. In fact, 2 Chronicles 15, 17 said, The heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. But this good king, a beacon of kings, somewhere along the way abandoned the love he had at first. So we're going to read the entire chapter, uh, 2 Chronicles 16, which is on page 369 of those blue pew Bibles. Uh, The chronicler records for us, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah. Just a reminder, Israel is the northern kingdom. So once upon a time, there had been one nation called Israel, but after Solomon, one of his sons, caused it to break up. So you had a bunch of tribes in the north, And you had some tribes down south. So that's what's going on here. Uh, Israel is the northern nation uh, where this Baasha guy is, and Asa's in the southern nation of Judah. So Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. He didn't want anyone coming in from the north down to the south. Verse 2. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord. Anywhere you see Lord in all caps, that's the proper name of God. 
uh, which we actually pronounce Yahweh. So Asa took treasures of the house of Yahweh and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, there's a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ijon, Dan, abel and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had been building, and with them Asa built Giba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on Yahweh your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on Yahweh, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The Acts of Asa, from first to last, are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek Yahweh, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. All that I have read to you from both the New Testament and the Old Testament is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friends, the grass withers and the flower falls. Man is but dust, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray for him to bless its teaching. Father, as we look at your word this morning, by your spirit, work in us to make our hearts blameless toward you so that we can have your strong support. We confess that we often do not seek you. Forgive us. We do not seek you despite knowing that you are the God who has the power to deliver great armies into the hands of your people. We believe that. We want to believe that. Help us believe that this morning as we look at Asa. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
I have sworn I will never have a southern accent. And let me tell you why. I have a dirty little secret. I'm from the backwoods of Oklahoma, y'all. Like the real back, like my cousin made moonshine. FBI, you didn't hear that. And uh, when I get around certain people, my accent comes back hard. In fact, uh, some of you guys know I was at a funeral a couple of weeks ago. I was officiating it on a Sunday morning, which was a weird deal. But um, the, these folks, they were, they were from where I'm from. You know what I mean? And my southern accent came back hard. Because there's just patterns we fall into when they're a part of our family history. And we have to work very hard to no longer have those patterns, which I have, which is why you don't normally hear me have a southern accent. But it was so easy to fall into when everyone else had one too. It was something I thought I had outgrown, that I was beyond. But we all often discover that there are family patterns that come back to haunt us sometimes far more serious ones, patterns of anger, patterns of coldness in relationships, patterns of alcoholism, or even patterns of how we go to church. Asa had parents and grandparents who had patterns, and Asa fell into those patterns. It takes very intentional planning and very self-conscious behaving to not fall back into the patterns of the family systems we come from. And I know family systems, that's psych jargon, but it's not wrong because we see that happening right here in the Bible, okay? Asa was following the pattern of the family systems he came from. Patterns of following the Lord faithfully at times, but then blowing it at the end. Sin had a way of getting the better of all the kings of Israel, especially as they neared the end of their lives. Unfortunately, good King Asa was no exception. But that teaches us something. And it gives us something to walk away with. Because it teaches us something about ourselves as well as about God. So let me summarize this passage for you. One, Asa should have relied on God. But two, when he messed up, Asa should have received correction from God. But three, Asa repented of God. And four, nonetheless, Asa was revered and reverenced by God. Yes, I do work for Mike Philiber, and there are four R's. Four R's, relied, received, repented, and reverenced, all of which is written for you on the back of the worship guide. Uh, So you can follow along and take notes there if you would like. First, the pattern of Asa teaches us about ourselves because Asa should have relied on God. 
Now, I already said there was a sort of rivalry, political uh, goings-on between the north and the south, Israel and Judah, uh, such that, not the least for envious reasons, the northern kingdom often attacked Judah. And so this episode begins with yet another attack from the north. Now, if you'll remember back to last week, when Asa was attacked, Asa cried to Yahweh his God, O oh, Yahweh, there's none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us, O Yahweh our God, for we rely on you. But this is many years later. Asa's been through a lot, but maybe he's been through a time of peace. But his first response to this attack was not to go to God in prayer. It was not to consult the prophets that he apparently had around him. It wasn't even to prepare his forces for battle or any other reasonable response while relying on God. Instead, verse 2 says, Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of Yahweh and the, and the king's house, his own house, and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, saying, there's a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold, Go break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And he did. So, Ben-Hadad went up against Baasha, and Baasha gave up and went home. Happy ending, right? Well, it sounds like it, except after this, verse 7 says that, At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on Yahweh your God, the army of the king of Yahweh, uh, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on Yahweh, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this. For from now on you will have wars. So what did Asa do wrong exactly? The key word in this passage is in verse 8. Uh, It's a Hebrew word that we just translate rely. Asa did not rely on Yahweh, on the Lord, on his God. Asa had the resources to take care of it himself. For some reason, Asa had started to rely on his own means instead of the Lord, and so he ransacked the Lord's temple. It's like he came in here and he took out the pulpit thingy, and he took out this pulpit, and he took the table, and he sold the grand piano, and he gave it to someone else to fight his battles. And he gave away what was the Lord's for his own protection without consulting the Lord about it. And so by entering into an alliance with Ben-Hadad at the expense of the temple and his palace, Asa countered the threat from Baasha. It did work. Sometimes doing the wrong things does get results. If I told you otherwise, I'd be lying. 
Asa countered the threat from Baasha, but his action reflected that he did not rely upon Yahweh, who had delivered him from greater threats. And I, I laughed out loud. Um, you know, when we prepare these sermons, we read these commentaries. They're big books that help us understand the passage. And there's this sort of profoundly academic commentary called the Word Biblical Commentary. And so this expert in Hebrew said, when Asa did that, it was stupid. <laughs> Took a PhD in Hebrew to have that insight. So why did Asa go down that path? Well, we're all bent in this direction of relying on ourselves. I mean, some of the first words little people say when they want to show off and be independent is they look at their mommies and daddies and they say, me do it! Me do it! And then they spill everything everywhere and the mommies and daddies have to clean it up. Can you tell I'm a parent of young children? Me do it! That's all of us. We, we, we don't grow out of that, or at least if we don't mature, we can not mature out of it. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Uh, and sometimes when we think we have, we're the one who didn't, whoever said we do. <laughs> uh, and as adults, we are so quick to look for solutions to our problems without any reference to God. We are just like Asa, quick to trust ourselves and our means and our ideas for our salvation and to look for our peace of mind from places other than God. So how can we be better? Now, of course, at a very fundamental level, this is a heart change. Uh, and so this is something the Holy Spirit does in us. But how can we put our way in front of that train? Well, I'm going to give you three ways. To, three ways we can be more aware and more careful about seeing when we are no longer relying on the Lord. Way number one, when something happens, something bad happens, and your first response is not to pray, that should get your attention. Right? Puts up a little yellow flag. Hey, you didn't pray first. Asa does not pray in chapter 16 at all. Who knows? Maybe Asa would have still called on Ben-Hadad after praying. That actually is a, that could have happened. And maybe Ben-Hadad, in fact, probably, uh, probably Asa still would have gone to the physicians when he gets sick later, which we'll talk a little bit about. The, the fact that he used ordinary means was not the problem. The fact that he didn't rely on the Lord was the problem. So ask yourself, when something bad happens, what is my first instinct? Is it to pray? Or is it to start problem solving? Second, another sign that we're not, no longer relying on the Lord is when something happens and you don't at least ask if the Lord has anything particular to say about it by thinking about his word. I mean, Asa apparently had prophets that could tell him really specific things, but he didn't go and ask them. And the Bible doesn't tell us the answer to every single problem, okay? If you have a car problem, 
uh, don't go to the Bible, go to one of those uh, mechanic books uh, that they sell down at Napa, okay? But I'm talking about life problems. When that comes up, the Bible normally has something to say about that. Do you at least consider what God's Word says, or do you not think about it at all? As you reflect on that, if your answer is, I don't think about it at all, that could be a little get-your-attention flag. Third, we can become more aware and more careful about seeing when we're no longer relying on the Lord by thinking about what were my patterns before I was saved. And this is actually a great way to wind up praising the Lord because you can look at my patterns and say, you know, before I was saved, uh, I really never thought about how I spoke. Before I was saved, I was very promiscuous. I'm not saying me personally, I'm just giving you examples. Before I was saved, I was very promiscuous. Before I was saved, I embezzled money. Before I was saved, I was really nice, but I was incredibly self-righteous and a jerk. That one is true of me. Um, right? So ask yourself, what were my patterns before I was saved? When you're at your worst moments, no longer relying on the Lord, you will return to the patterns of sin you had before you were saved. And when you catch yourself in any of those things, when you realize you're no longer relying on the Lord, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can repent freely. Seek the Lord earnestly, and he will always forgive you and welcome you. Period. In fact, if you don't know that, you will never return to him. I want to tell you guys, the first thing you need to know in order to repent is that God will always welcome you when you repent. The first thing you need to know in order to change is that God already loves you and will receive you with open arms every time you realize you need to change. Once you know that, you will have the freedom to begin to, to really be sanctified, to become more holy in life and heart and action. Because one of the biggest traps we fall into is to think that because we've been messing up, sometimes even knowingly and thoughtfully sinning against God, that we shouldn't go to God. But he is exactly who we should go to. For the eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless before him. That's verse 9. God is looking for people to come to him seeking guidance and seeking forgiveness. What you've got to understand is the word blameless in the Bible does not mean sinless. If the word blameless means sinless, we're all going to hell. And hell is real, by the way. No, the word blameless does not mean sinless. The word blameless means forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he is our propitiation for sins. When we come to Jesus, when we come to God in Christ, he sees us as blameless. He sees us as sinless. As I say he had double vision, remember? He sees us as sinner and saint. But to be blameless is to be one who comes to God with no other hope than him. 
And that's what blameless means in the Bible. Not sinless, not good, but relying on the Lord, especially in repenting and turning to him when we haven't been. But when we do that, God still may correct us. The pattern of Asa teaches us about ourselves because Asa should have received correction from God. But Asa did not take correction well. Right? Hanani comes to him and tells him about the evil he's done. And Asa was angry with the seer and put him in stocks in prison. For Asa was in a rage with Hanani because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Hanani the prophet explained what Asa had done wrong and what the punishment would be for what Asa had done. So Asa locked up Hanani in stocks and also apparently punished some of the people around him. Asa not only shot the messenger, Asa kicked the dog when he got home. Asa's anger over his own blunder and his anger over needing to be corrected led him to hurt the people he was called to care for as king. Have you ever gotten angry at correction? Have you ever taken your anger out on the person who corrected you or those around you who love you? Of course, we all have. Sometimes we're all just like Asa in receiving correction. But just because it happens to all of us doesn't mean it's not sin. We need to be honest about our sin. One of the biggest problems that Asa had was that he did not want to hear he was a sinner. He wanted to keep his sin to himself. He wanted to hide his brokenness. And when you do that, it is bad for your souls, friends. Because the only way to hide from brokenness And the only way to not deal with the fact that you are a sinner is to become self-righteous and begin to take it out on everyone else around you. Acting like everything is okay when it's not will destroy you because it lets you continue down the path of destruction. And that is why Proverbs 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Yes, that is a verse in the Bible, in the ESV, by the way, for those who care. That's a verse in the Bible that says those who hate being corrected are stupid. And we've all been stupid. But Proverbs 28.13 promises While whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We have never erred so greatly that we can no no longer entertain the idea that we are wrong. I'm going to say that again. We have never erred so greatly as when we will no longer entertain the idea that we are wrong. We are never in such spiritual danger as when we pretend like we've got it together when we don't. I said at the beginning of the service, this 
is worship for the convinced and the unconvinced. This is worship for the doubter and the believer. This is worship for the skeptic, the cynical, and for those who do have it together and those who don't. The fact is, none of us have it together. And we are at the greatest risk of falling when we refuse to acknowledge our sins and try to convince ourselves that we've got it all together because we refuse to confess our sins to God and to other people. For when we can't be wrong, when we can't be confronted about our sin, when we can't be corrected, we have repented of God and turned to ourselves for our own wisdom and understanding. The pattern of Asa teaches us about ourselves and about God because Asa repented of God. Now, I know normally when we say repentance in churchy circles, we mean turning from or changing your mind about something. And we generally mean turning from your sin to God, turning from your idols to God, and changing your behavior. But Asa repented of God. He turned from God. And that played out the rest of his life. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. This is verse 12. He was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek Yahweh, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. Now, Sidebar. Doctors are fine, okay? In 2 Kings 20, although they did seek the Lord's favor in prayer first, they used standard medical techniques to bring healing to Hezekiah. And God used those techniques to heal him. God ordinarily works through ordinary means, therefore physicians are good and to be trusted. But we don't put our final hope in them. The Old Testament doesn't hesitate to prescribe medical treatment for physical maladies, but it never divorces natural remedies from seeking divine assistance. So it is not sin to use human means to solve our problems, but it is sin to trust them more than God and to think that they are better than God's ways or to leave God completely out of the problem-solving problem. So, pray and go see your doctor, okay? Uh, Colonoscopies are not mistrusting God. They're using the means God has given you. Got it? But Asa did not seek the Lord. Asa continued to turn away from the Lord and rely on human strength alone. So Asa died. But Asa as I said, wasn't the only one to veer off later in life. If you know the story of King David, it was fairly late in his life. He'd been on the throne many years when he stayed home during the season when men went to war and then took Bathsheba in lust and murdered her husband. And King Solomon, as he grew older, took on more and more wives. 
And the First Kings 11 tells us that in his final years, Solomon had his heart turned from Yahweh as he began to worship the pagan gods Ashtoreth, Milcom, and Shamash, the gods of his wives. The kings who had been delivered time and again by Yahweh through supernatural means turned from their God. So how much more prone are we? I'm going to tread lightly here because I don't want some young, young, some young snot-nosed guy like me to say, we don't need old people, no one over 50. Because after all, that's what most of you old people did when you were my age. <laughs> I know your history. But that's not what I'm saying. We need intergenerational ministry. Young people need older people pouring into them. Young people need older people listening to them, speaking into their lives, mentoring them, loving on them. And if you're old and hate the idea of having to deal with young people, you're the one in sin. If you are older than most of the people in this room and aren't mentoring someone younger, something has gone wrong. Let those with ears to ear hear take heed. But David, Solomon, and Asa show us that age can have a way of leading some of us away from the Lord as we get older. When I was running the drug and alcohol rehab, I can't tell you how many times uh, someone older than me would say, you're younger than me, you don't know Jack, Sonny, I don't need to hear from you, and I would give the compassionate retort, well, one of us is a pastor and one of us is in rehab. Sometimes being older brings just as much pride as youth. When you're young, you think you know everything. And sometimes when you're old, you think you know everything. And both are stupid. So, my mothers and fathers, have you gotten more self-confident as you've gotten older? Have you gotten more sure of your own wisdom? If so, do you still trust the Lord as you did at first? Maybe you've been a great Christian and done lots of great things to the Lord. And that's maybe super dangerous. So did Asa. We can become blind to our own foolishness because of past spiritual success. So are we becoming self-confident instead of God-confident as we get older? It happens to churches too. Right? The church at Ephesus was celebrated, growing, got a letter from Paul that wasn't indicting them for something. And Jesus had to say to them, I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If that could happen to people who had apostles for pastors, it can happen to us. And so we are brought to our only hope, continuing to rely on God until the end of our days, being willing, regardless of age, to receive correction and continually repenting by going to God. When we discover we've gone astray, we quickly and willingly receive correction because God promised 
in 2 Chronicles 7.14. We've looked at this verse almost every week since we got there. God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God always welcomes us and heals his church when we turn to him in reliance and repentance. The story of Asa really is just the negative side of that principle. When we don't humble ourselves and we don't pray and we don't turn from our wicked ways, the Lord is right and just if he doesn't hear what we're not saying and doesn't heal us from the thing we didn't ask to be healed from. Asa didn't rely on the Lord at the end, and so he died because he only relied on human means. Now, you might expect that ending so badly, Asa would simply be written down and forgotten. But instead, Asa, who would not receive correction, who repented of God, was nonetheless remembered, reverenced, and revered by God. The pattern of Asa teaches us about ourselves and about God because Asa was nonetheless remembered, revered, and reverenced by God. Verse 14 tells us, They buried Asa in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. Asa receives a special, super-duper, uh, honor funeral, like he got a parade for his funeral with ticker, do they still use ticker tape? You can tell I never go to parades, um, right? But he, he got like a parade and he got a huge fire. This wasn't like a, a Norse funeral or something. They didn't cremate him or burn his body. This was just like a big celebration fire because that's how God led his people to honor Asa. And that's just like God, isn't it? God shows grace to sinners who have abandoned him. That's who God is. That's what God does. And that's what we all need. God who forgives us our sins and receives us every single time we repent to him, no matter how many times we have to repent, because that's who God is. Because God made a way so that sinners like us will always be remembered by God despite our sins. And we will always be revered by God despite deserving punishment. One of the most shocking things about Christianity is that we not only come to worship God and revere his name, but he reveres and reverences us in return. In fact, you... It is when you understand the truth that God reverences and reveres you, that he celebrates over you, that he exults over you with gladness, that he sings over you with loud singing, that he will quiet you by his love, that you are his beloved child, that when you get that, that he reverences and reveres you, your praise will reach a new level. But when you're trusting yourself, well, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were depending somewhere other than God too. They revered themselves, and they trusted in their own ways. They were depending on their alliance with the Romans rather than trusting God's promises. And in fact, they were so sure of their way of getting it done that when God finally 
fulfilled his promises, they repented of God by rejecting correction from a prophet greater than Hanani. Instead, they hung him on a cross. Like Hanani, Jesus Christ was another faithful prophet punished for preaching God's word. But what makes Jesus different is that Jesus was not only a prophet, but the rightful king in the line of Asa, in the line of David, the Messiah they had been waiting for. And more than that, Jesus was a perfect king whose heart was truly blameless in the sense that it was sinless. And Jesus never got angry or abused his people. Instead, when his people abused him, he showed them grace and allowed them to put him on a cross and dishonor him because that was the price necessary so that our sins could be forgiven and we could receive that reverence from God. And that's the greatest lesson we need to learn from Asa for ourselves and about God, that God reveres us despite us because of Jesus Christ. And he corrects us for our own good, sure, but he will never forsake us because of Jesus. And so just like the kings were at their best when they saw how much Yahweh did for them, when they relied on the Lord, you will be at your best, my friends, when you see how much Jesus has done for you through his sinless life and death on the cross. Then you will receive correction. Repent of yourself. Trust Jesus regardless of your age when you look at Jesus on the cross because there you see your sin being punished so that you can be honest about what's wrong with you. You no longer have to hide it any longer because you'll know there's no condemnation for it. And so in knowing your sins are forgiven, you can become truly wise. When you are struggling or run into problems and turn to God who has the power to raise Jesus again from the dead, then you will discover his grace and mercy. Because knowing that God will never forsake you and he had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, knowing that truth is what enables you to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him so that he will make straight your paths. God raised Jesus from the dead to declare to you and to all who believe that he has and will revere you. Not because we've turned to him properly, but so we can repent and turn to him. So what that means for you is that if you're worried you've messed up too bad today for God to really love you, if you're worried that you don't have time to make things right, certainly go make things right as right as you can. I do encourage you to do that. But be comforted by this. Asa did his biggest messing up at the end of his life, and he didn't fix it. But God reverenced and revered him anyway. And you are sitting here today, so you're still alive, and you have a chance to do repenting in this life. But whether you get it all fixed or not, God has already done everything to revere you through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Now, and through eternity, through the king better than Asa, the prophet greater than Hanani. So repent, my friends, turn to God, and rest in that, because that's good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of mercy who receives your people, 
and that you revere us. We came in here today to praise your name, but you turn to each one of us and look us in the face and say, I am well pleased with you through Jesus Christ. May knowing your grace and mercy enable us to walk in gospel vulnerability, in humility, in honesty, and begin to love one another as you have loved us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.